We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Radio. This is managing editor Derek Ciapala. It is getting close to Halloween, a little bit of spooky time. And when it comes to spooky time, we can't help but have one of the greatest October quarterbacks, November, December, heck, he's one of my favorites anyways, Jim Everett on the line with us, ready to talk about everything ranging from his career with the Rams to the economics of the game. I have to tell you, uh, Jim is very good with understanding sports economics, and there's a lot of things going on in L.A. with the Chargers and the Rams. And, you know, first, Jim, welcome to the show. Derek, it's great being with you. I know it's, uh, heck, it's been a few years. Matter of fact, I remember last time we were talking was uh, before the Rams even moved out here. So it's good to be back with you, buddy. Well, you know, and for the fans who don't know, Jim's played a major role in my life as a Rams fan. I, when, I, when I grew up, Jim, I sent him a letter. I was a 14-year-old kid. I had been going through a rough time in life, been, been through a lot of bad things. And I sent him a fan letter. And in that fan letter, I just asked for the kindness of a game program from the game that was being played my birthday. And a couple weeks later, in the mail, I get this autographed picture of, of Jim. And you know what uh, made me a fan for life? It, it really solidified. Somebody showed me that kindness, and it really made an impact on me. And I, I followed your your career and your life ever since. So even as, it, as now a grown man, almost 39 years old, you know, I thank you for for reaching out to those fans over the years and being involved because it makes an impact. 
Oh, Derek, you don't get to talk on radio very much with a guy that, you know, has a story of someone that you touched. I mean, as an athlete, I know uh, maybe Charles Barkley doesn't think he's a role model, but I think that there's a way that you go out and make a positive touch on a bunch of different people, and it's such a small world. Here we are talking now, something we did 30, 40 years ago. So, you know, that's that's kind of a, a cool deal to even hear. You know, but with today's current athletes and the whole thing, or even if you're not an athlete, if you can make a positive difference just a little bit in someone's life, that goes a long, long way. And I think my grandpa taught me that. And, and uh, you know, I think one of the guys I admired looking at it was Peyton Manning. He always took the time to write a little letter to somebody or a little appreciation. I'll tell you what, that's, that's monumental. Well, yeah, and, and the guys like that are the ones you remember. Those are the ones who, you know, like I'm remembering you 25 years later. I remember that story like it was, you know, like it was yesterday, opening up my mail and, and this manila envelope says Los Angeles Rams on it, and it, that picture's there. And th- those things to a kid, they, they really, they let you know somebody out there gives a crap. And there are numerous stories in the league of, of players who do that today, and it's a shame that those things get get kind of covered up by, you know, the, the whole national anthem thing, you know, taking a knee and telling the dumb things players do when the good things that, you know, the players do over time get, you know, kind of wiped clean. Well, I don't think uh, TMZ is going to be covering, you know, sitting back in Austria. Yeah, they want, I know. They want something a little bit more dicey, a little bit more dicey, you know, the stuff that sells. So, you know, got to look that there's a lot of media competition for finding that kind of weird funk story. Yeah. Um, you know, because that sells. So, you know, that's part of the whole whole skit that we deal with the media. We see it in politics. We see it in athletics. We see, I mean, there's a lot of different avenues to be able to, to touch that on. And I think people have to look through the media a little bit and analyze saying, you know, hey, is this, uh, you know, is this aliens from Mars stuff or is this real? It's interesting you say that because I was just teaching my students the other day, you know, about Joseph Pulitzer and his motto was, Sin, sex, and sensation. And the idea was you, you make your stories as flashy, you, get, you add sensation, you sin, the people sins. And his big uh, competitive time, William Randolph Hearst, he focused on alien stories and uh, an imaginary invasion of Mars and so on and so forth. And it's so funny you say that now, and you realize <laughs> media really hasn't changed over the last 100 years. We think oh, it no, has. neither has storytelling before we had media. I mean, they would expand the story and this and that. And you know, I think that's part of human nature. And we want to we want to hear about, you know, oh, really? Really? That far? Even more? You know, that type of deal. And I think we all get a little bit entranced with that. And I'm not saying that even on all the bad stuff, even some of the good stuff. Sometimes we take our athletes and make them, you know, superhuman. And, well, they're still just human. And so that's the part that is. You know, I think that it's important to to hold is that you know, do the nice thing, do your job, do the things. But you know, the fact is, is that most of the people out there aren't as bad as they want to make them out to be, or as good. Oh yeah, and I'm glad we do. I'm glad that we do see some of the great things. The last time we talked, though, uh, we really got into it on economics, and you told me in that call that you really believe the Rams are going to wind up moving. Well, they did. What do you think really made this happen for the Rams going back to LA? Well, I think I never want it. it doesn't happen without staying calm. I mean, here's the, here's a guy in California is not going to be building a stadium with public funds for some another billionaire. I mean, that just don't doesn't happen. It, yet Stan Kroenke was going to put three four billion dollars down to build his own stadium and three hundred acre complex that the NFL can use as the NFL Complex West. Now that's a huge deal. 
you know, get all NFL films out here, uh, build a stadium that's state of the art, just like Jerry Jones is in Texas. Money box. And so that's te- that type of deal where a franchise goes from, say, worth one and a half billion, maybe two billion in St. Louis. Now is probably a four billion dollar business in Los Angeles. And these just create, created, you know, value. Of course, that's why Dan Crockey does it. Well, that's, that's, let's parlay, parlay that right into the Chargers. Someone wanted to buy the Chargers, whatever billionaires there are in San Diego, probably another $2 billion down there. But like the Clippers did in the NBA a while back, they moved up to Los Angeles and, you know, all of a sudden now their franchise is probably worth more than their $4 billion. I mean, that's $2 billion that Alex Thanos is going to put in his pocket at some point if he ever has to sell or goes to a, a state. That talks. I mean, people just don't create billions of dollars out of thin air. That does bring a question to mind. We, we At least the way the media has reported it, it looks like, you know, the L.A. area has not really embraced the Chargers. Well, that's one thing I'm going to ask you about first is, you know, how has the L.A. area received the Chargers? But then even the rumors that this team could – go back to San Diego or go somewhere else because L.A. is not working. Now, what are you seeing out there? Well, I, I think that this, this, there's a lot of loyalties, just like we experienced when L.A. left here, with the Rams left here. There's a lot of heart fill. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of wondering. But let's just go back to Alex Spano's position. You know, he's got, he's still in Southern California. If he flies his team to London, or Mexico City, or whatever international, because that's where the NFL is going to be headed by year 2050, is that a lot of people will recognize where Los Angeles is a lot sooner than they will Anaheim, i.e. the Anaheim or Los Angeles Angels now, or any other any other place around the world will recognize the Los Angeles Chargers. The fans at some point in time will It'll be a Southern California team, and that's what they're maintaining. I'm not saying that, that it's palatable. I'm not saying it was palatable for when the for St. Louis when the when the Rams left. They probably disliked it. But you know, the thing that I would say to the St. Louis fans is, hey, we're all one nation. We're all one Ram nation. Stay tight. You know, we hung in there while they were gone for 20 years. Keep hanging in there. But I understand the local loyalty. I get it, and it's tough. But uh, if you go back to Spanos. There's a lot more billionaires probably buying a business in Los Angeles than there would be in San Diego. I'm not the first one to say that he's going to sell his business, but I'm saying opportunistically, if he ever did, he would have a much easier time selling the Los Angeles franchise. Do you think that the NFL is out of San Diego for good? Well, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, I, I never say never because I, I could have probably said <laughs> LA's never coming back home. If they did, you know, one of the two franchises ever to move back home would be the Los Angeles Rams and then and going to Baylor's come back and then the Oakland Raiders, you know, going back to Oakland. So I always never say never. If the financials match and they make sense, of course. I never thought, I would probably say that Las Vegas would never have a team. But look, the, the, the economics are a sense that that's a place the Raiders would be a natural team and you know, I always said the Raiders could play in 16 away games and still have as many fans. Well, yeah, that, they go everywhere and they scare people all the way. But hey, um, <laughs> <laughs> hey there's, there's jails everywhere. Come on, people have to get right. out and watch. Well, you I'm know, just kidding on that. I, I like to give the Raider fans a hard time. They are loyal and they are, you know, they, they'll fight for the team and they'll physically show you. Yeah, literally, they they will stab someone for their team. We know that. And that that does bring a question. Back when this was 
whole, all happening. It was down to the Raiders, Chargers, and the Rams. And in the end, it was the Rams first, then the Chargers. What would the situation be like, in your view, if the Raiders and the, and the Rams were back in L.A. together? Well, I, I'll honestly say the Raiders is a Los Angeles-based team. I think playing in Las Vegas is the closest suburb, and that probably still gets your base, you know, there. But I think it's natural for a Los Angeles Ram and a Los Angeles Raider team to be together. I'll say that. I don't think that it would be a marriage made in heaven, you know, have them share the same stadium, share the same field. I don't. I mean, I don't understand what the 49ers who built a great stadium up in the Bay didn't have, you know, the Raiders be their tenant. Because that could have happened. But yet the 49ers did not want to have the Raider fan base in that stadium. So go figure. What does that do for the Chargers? You know, you have, you know, the natural partnership that you were mentioning between the Raiders and the Rams. They're in different conferences, so on and so forth. The Chargers are in L.A. now. Um, it's traditionally a Raider town. The rival Raiders, and now they're expected to cheer for the Chargers. How's that going to work out? Oh, it's difficult. No, it's, I'm not saying that this is easy street. I'm not, it's, it's going to be very difficult. This is, it's something that will probably take time. It'll take, you know, and of course where they're playing now and the stub hub has its own, has its own issues. And it's probably the first time any NFL franchise has ever come into a stadium that's what, 25,000 under 30,000 feet, uh, seats for, you know, a stadium. And, and, you know, as much as we're thinking about the fan base, I feel for the Charger players. Here's a group that, you know, like the Rams did last year, got uprooted from their home, had to move to a place, and, and kind of deal with the fact that sometimes people are talking about them not being wanted. You know, and talk about 60 guys in a room fighting the whole world. I mean, that's the Chargers. And, and I feel for the guys actually playing for them, because that's, that's got to be a difficult situation when you're, when you're doing it. Of course, you're going to have your loyal fans of, you know, thousands that are going to bleed Charger no matter where they are, and I think that's, that's what's going to have to keep holding them up. Did you catch the Chargers Raiders game on Sunday? Did you happen to see? Sorry, not the Chargers Raiders, the Chargers Broncos game. Yeah, I was gonna say Raiders. Why? Yeah, I know. I had I had a moment. <laughs> I had a moment. Those happen from time to time. Um, yeah, where the I like attendance? To watch good offense, but I didn't see much from them. Oh so good gosh, no, that was brutal. <laughs> it wasn't palatable. I like to watch games with both good offense and. I was in and out of that game, to be honest. I mean, I wasn't going to sit and watch all that stuff, all of it. Well, what I was what I was really going to ask you about was the attendance there. Uh, again, this is just the camera view. It looked an awful lot like that was a Bronco crowd, not even halfway, a half-and-half half Chargers Broncos crowd. Oh, I'll tell you what. Wherever – and let's not judge this just for the Chargers. Sure. The Broncos – like college football, when you have a bowl game, you've got some teams when they travel, they bring a lot of people with them in college. And then they, you know, if you've got a borderline, hey, I'm going to take this team or, or you know, some other team that doesn't travel, well, I'm going to take the team that travels well because eventually it's about making money. Let's go back to the economics. Now, Denver, even when I played in Anaheim, that stadium would be half orange. So Denver travels very well. They travel much better than, say, Indianapolis or some, some other teams. So a team like Cleveland, Travels well. Dallas travels well. New York Giants travel well. They bring a lot of fans. They have a lot of fan base. For the Raiders travel well. I, there's no doubt in my in my mind that no matter what stadium Denver's playing in, they're going to represent. Now, the fact is that maybe they have a lot more availability to those seats because some of the Charger fans aren't showing up. Well, they're going to take it over, just like Philadelphia did the, the couple weeks before. It's, it's still oh, something it's, it's to watch. Yeah, it's still well, something to watch. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's, it's an away game, but a home 
it's an away game, but you're playing in front of all your cousins. <laughs> it's still like a home game, but you, you just have to be out of the house. Also, let's let's talk about let's talk about your team, the Rams. Four and twelve last year. Thing attendance slowly went downhill from you know the ninety thousand showing for preseason to you know lackluster at the end of the year. And the question that I want to first ask you is: Is did the Rams mess up the whole rollout to LA? I don't think there's a, a template for moving a franchise more or less sixty miles, more or less you know two thousand miles or whatever the distance was. There's there's no good way. Anybody that that's ever moved knows you're going to go through crap. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you got a beeper. It's just it's just hard. It's hard on the equipment guy. It's hard on you know your front office. It's hard on the players finding a place to live. You've got a lot of extra energy. You know that when you move your house or you move in. That's why people don't move all the time because you're like, I don't want the house. What's the house? And sure. uh, did that affect their season? Absolutely. I mean, they were they were up you know staying half the time in Oxnard with the with the Cowboys. Then they came down to. Irvine, and they had, you know, they had all these different temporary facilities where they were just going out of. You know, I couldn't see a team going 12 and 4 with all the distractions. No, no way. Now, I'm not blaming that 4 and 12 season on just that one aspect because we don't live in a vacuum. We've got multiple items going on. The fact is, is that in 2016, as compared to 2017, the offensive starters, there's nine new guys starting this year on the first game as opposed to the first game. And I'm including Jared Goff as a new guy because he didn't start first day in 2016. So you talk about nine different guys. That's a huge change in development, either, you know, offensive line, Whitworth coming in, Sullivan coming in, um, and then all new coaching staff, the whole deal. They've really done a nice job of implementing. Now, they didn't have to worry about a move this year. Except for maybe the coaches, yeah, because <laughs> they had to find home. But other than that, the players were a little bit more stabilized. They, they brought in. I say this. I made a comment about this right after the draft. This was the first draft in a long time that I thought they drafted for football IQ. And I think anybody that knows football, you can have specimens playing, but if you have a guy that knows how to play football, he can beat a specimen all, most of the time. Doesn't mean he can't get killed every once in a while, because he is, because the guy's a monster. But the idea is they got, they brought in football players. And well, I was so proud of this franchise for doing that. Well, well, what changed? Because you have the same general manager. Is it just because, you know, a Jeff Fisher philosophy to the McVeigh philosophy? What really changed? Well, maybe this you have the same picker, but it doesn't mean it's like, you know, you being around one of your buddies, you may act a little different around one of your buddies as opposed to another one. Just because of the deal. Jeff Fisher may have put value in A B C where McVeigh might put value in X Y Z. So if you're his picker, you know, you've got you've got a sound now for McVeigh looking for X Y Z guy because that's what he values as a head coach. Otherwise, your general manager is not going to have a job, especially if he's a picking department. So Sean McVeigh was looking for guys that could understand. You got to be around Sean McVeigh for a little bit to understand him. This guy talks football twenty four seven. He's I mean, he's he's Peyton Manning, but in a you know shorter body. I mean, this guy's I'm not saying he has the ability, but I'm talking about the mind. Him and Peyton Manning are football addicts. I mean, they're just, they're just like, can you please stop? Because you're still talking about it. I mean, they will just grind and grind and grind and go. And that's what he wanted. He values the XYZ guy that understands and wants to learn more about the concept so they can take advantage of what the defense is getting. Because if you recognize what they're trying to do, you know they're soft spot. Before we move on, let's get a word for our sponsors. The Gold Ram Barbershop. 
over at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. It's owned by Sal Martinez. He opened up his barbershop the day the Rams left in 1994. He's held the door open ever since. He's kept the lights on for Rams fans. Great prices. Give, you can get an appointment with him real easy, 714-894-7267. Hours are usually open 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go in there, get a great haircut at a great price. Take a look at that museum he's got in his store. It's Rams everything. Rams autographs, Rams pictures, Rams jerseys, Rams, Rams, Rams. It's just a great experience. Go in there and talk Rams football. He opened that store for you, the fan. Take a look. Again, it's 714-894-7267. Oh, and if you are interested in sponsoring Rams Talk, please join us. We would love to be on board with you. We'd love to work with you. We're at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us. So with that in mind, I, I guess the question I'm going to ask is, is it's a tough one, but I'm really curious. Did the, Rams, did the Rams make a mistake in keeping Fisher that extra year? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, we could have if, then, sir, if, I'll say no, they didn't make a mistake. Because I tell you, if, it, if they would have let him go a week or a year earlier, they wouldn't have been ready. So no, they didn't make a mistake. It's all it was all in in the plan. I'm not saying it was stumbled into it, but I'm just saying there. You know, if you were hiring a coach a year earlier, I don't know if you if you get the guy they have now, and I and I don't know what that looks like. And that's just all hypothetical. So no, I think Fisher was the right guy for the move. I think Fisher did the best job he can. I think that people that appreciate he had an outstanding NFL career, 21 seasons. I don't know if you know about coaching in the NFL. No coach lasts 21 years. And that's just incredible. So, a lot of kudos to Jeff. The only bad down part with Jeff is because he did not have a contract extension, couldn't attract any offensive talent. And I feel for him. No one's going to, no offensive guru is going to sign a one or two year contract. Let's take the 49ers, for example, with Shanahan up there. He signed a six year deal to get out of, you know, a good situation he had in, in uh, Atlanta. Which makes perfect sense. You know, he, he's got job security. He's going to go there. He's going to take time to grow. All those types of things. You know, you're not going to attract a Shanahan to be, you know, an assistant coach on a staff on a one or two year contract. And that's what Jeff Fisher ran into. And unfortunately, that was kind of the downfall. They, they couldn't get a staff on the offensive side that was it matches defensive savvy. You know, you know more than I do. You, you've been around the game in a much more intimate way than I have. But I guess the question that comes to mind then is, what about in that first couple of years? We know that Schottenheimer there who was a dink and dunk kind of guy and wasn't and proved to be not very creative in his thinking. And it's hard to kind of really understand that when Jeff Fisher was there for five years. And so are you saying just because they wait, maybe they waited too long to fire, you know, to fire the first guy out or get him out of there, and maybe it's too late to get Brian Schottenheimer out of there. Or I guess I'm trying to wrap my mind around how. I don't it... think it. I don't think it was congruent with the personnel they were bringing in to match up with what offensive coordinators he had. So, for example, let's take um, Robinson, for example, Greg Robinson. Sure. Um, he's a tackle. Fisher loved him. And I understand why he absolutely mauled people. He's a Fisher mentality type offensive lineman. And he will absolutely kill you. But he couldn't pass protect. And he needed to learn that. But it's hard to take a guy in the second pick who has to develop a part of his game pass protection that's totally instrumental in the NFL. And you're usually looking at a polished product at number two. That's a Jeff Fisher call. 
And that, but is that going to translate to your offensive coordinator? Well, I've got to tackle it. Okay, I can run block, but I really can't pass block. So a guy like McVeigh, let's translate to him. He knows exactly what he wants on the offensive side, and it's not going to be, you know, unfortunately, a guy like Mr. Robinson. Even though he, he can he can run block very well, McVeigh wants an all-around guy that's want, that's going to want a number one be a student of the game. He's going to be able to have perfected his craft, and he's going to look for a guy that you know, can overachieve and once once and has the drive and will to play football uh, and even be involved with football after the game. That's what he will look for. That's a different mentality from the head coach. Am I blaming that off on the offensive coordinator? Absolutely not, but I don't think the offensive coordinator back then at Sutheimer is making the call on the personnel he wanted. I could tell you this. I was in the draft room with the Rams in 1980. I don't know, 87, 88. And we have the, we have two picks in the first round after the Eric Dickerson trade. My offensive coordinator and even my head coach wanted certain guys and we didn't get them. The personnel player made a decision. Personnel picked Gaston Green first for the running back position and then we took Aaron Cox at the wide receiver position. Yep, I remember that. If you would have, if you would have left it to the coaching staff. John Robinson and Ernie Zampezi, we would have had Michael Irvin in the first pick, and we would have had Thurman Thomas in the next pick. And, and so imagine we, imagine how different the franchise is then. Yeah, I, I tell John Robinson that story, and he goes, yeah, then you'd still be involved. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that McVay has, let's, let's go back to, and I tell him that story for a reason, because not every head coach has absolute control over personnel. Not every offensive coordinator. I mean, Ernest Zampezi knew he wanted Mike Orvin, but he got Aaron Cox. Two different, two different guys. The personnel guy loved gas and green because he could run through big holes. But yes, John Robinson loved Thurman Thomas because he wanted a guy that could bounce around and do, and you know, I mean, unfortunately, uh, those guys landed in the right spot for themselves, and they're, you know, Hall of Famers. So it's a whole group thing, is what I'm trying to get to. Your personnel, your general manager, your head coach, your position coaches, and you have to pick guys that you want. You can't just get guys that are selected because they're they measured a certain way, or they did this, or they did that. Pretty ballers. And that's what they're doing, and that's what the thing I was so impressed with with this draft. First time I've seen it in a long, long time. Let me ask this question, and I'm, I'm thinking about the draft, and, and you, the way you said it to me, I haven't heard anybody else really, really say it in terms of football IQ. I haven't heard anybody talk about that concerning the Rams draft. And matter of fact, most experts we saw gave the draft a middling score. You know, they did good things, uh-huh. and and so you know, coming into the season, there were plenty of doubts. Hey, hey, Derek, real quick, if I how vertical jump. I'm going to give the Rams a vertical, uh, a middling score. Mm-hmm. If I if I value 40 times, I'm going to give Rams a middling value, and, I, and that perfectly makes sense because you, you're not going to football IQ is not measurable like that. It's almost like saying, Derek, I'm going to measure heart. Put that on the scale for me, buddy. Well, isn't it like you know seven pounds or seven pounds of flesh? <laughs> <laughs> I want a full seven pounder. I don't want to be like Secretariat. I want one with ten. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I get what you're saying, and I, I actually agree. It's just, you know, it's, it's refreshing because we haven't heard that kind of talk. And again, it goes, to me, it goes back to what we were talking about in the first part of the conversation when we're talking about the media and, and so on and so forth. These talking heads that we get on TV don't really ever talk about the IQ as much as those 40 times and the, and the bench presses and, and, and so on and so forth. And I'm not saying they don't matter, but to really kind of focus in on IQ – to me, it's overlooked in, in today's NFL. It is. It is. But, 
you know, and then you'll go through a trend where, you know, a team, they all have people that run under 4-5 and they win. So, you know, the other team was like, I need a bunch of fast guys because we're too slow. So you go through these different ways and cycles and, you know, you go time where, you know, the same thing with cars, all of a sudden gas prices go up and you want a little car and all of a sudden gas prices go down. Now you want a gas guzzler. I mean, it, it goes in these different trends. So Derek, it's, it's one of those things that it's natural. I always say life comes in waves, just like the ocean, you know, the peaks and valleys, you know, just be consistent, you know, be the sand through it all and be consistent and, um, you know, look for what you do and stay true to yourself. It seems like that's what the Rams are doing. They, they've kind of figured out who they are. What is the uh, the ceiling for this Rams team this year? Well, I think they're they're a hardworking group. I think that, you know, they, they think, I heard McKay said one time this was the best game we played last week, and I would agree with him um, because there was all, there's other facets of the game that were always, ah, we could do that a little better. Oh, we could do that a little better. So these guys are at a position where they're just taking this offense on, and I said that they would be better in week eight than in week one because the, all the nuances of the system and the coaches are being able to put more and add a little bit more responsibility and put in, you know, a little bit more trickery and a little more a little more pageantry to make the offense a little less predictable. All those things can come when you have guys in reps. You know, like anything else you do with uh, any other thing in life, you get a few reps at something and you can perfect it. That's where they're getting to. Um, I don't I don't think we're even close to seeing them be the best they can be. They're not even they, Watkins is, is still not utilized. Woods is coming on. I think the tight end position, Higby still has a lot of um, stuff that he can clean up. And of course, um, you know the offensive line—they're always getting better. But uh, Coach Aaron Cromer is doing just wonderful. Oh job. my goodness, he is. I sat with him in a meeting earlier this year, and he talked about his technique, and it's rather new his stuff that he's bringing in. Do you think about? Old school offensive line, you think of rope grading. Well, he doesn't teach that. He teaches a couple other techniques, and that was with Jackie Slater and did his hair, and they're like, wow, that's different. That's How's that going to work? That's, that's not ours. But when you're talking about 360-pound defensive tackles, it's tough to rope grade that. you you got to use some different techniques, and he's got them, and they're working. And it's, um, it's, it's quite impressive. Well, I'm going to just ask you straightforward. Can this team win the NFC West this year? No, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I mean, I don't get into the hypotheses. You know, they'd be five and two. They could have been six and one with one more catch. Oh yeah. Um, a couple, a couple fumbles. They could be, you know, they could be three and four. So I, I don't know. You know, all the, ball, the way the ball bounces. I think if they continue to play Wade Phillips' defense, they're going to be tough as nails to on. But Bones has got their special teams playing to a very high level. And I, is there any better kicker right now than Zerline and Hacker? And Hector as a punter. I mean, those guys are off the charts. So special teams a check. I don't see why not. You know, they knock on wood that they, they stay healthy. I know Sullivan got a little banged up this last game, and hopefully he's uh, he's he, he's back. He's been an integral part of making sure that the offensive line turns the right way and protect. I know last year Jared was looking left and right because he was running. <laughs> it's hard to play the quarterback position when you're looking at your lineman. <laughs> This year, he, he's got so much more time. He's just feeling it, and you can see it, and his eyes are staying upfield, and it's, it's fun to watch. He's going to get better. He's shifting and moving. He's nowhere near as accurate as he can be, and his movement in the pocket is still uh, is still a little slow for, for this level, and I see that going to improve over the next three years tremendously. Well, that's one question I was going to ask with Jared Goff. Last year, he looked deer in headlights. I don't necessarily blame that on him. I don't think the Rams gave him a lot to 
to protect him last year. This year, he's shown such a different, just a different way in how he's playing. You know, he's he's the guy. One, he's got courage. He'll he'll step up and he'll step into a throw and he'll take a hit. You know, he'll he'll take off and run when you need to run. But one thing I've noticed is you know he still has occasion on once in a while to to stare down receivers on, once in a while, and he also tends to throw behind receivers when he's in a hurry. Uh, so. Can you explain to me, you've been there, you've done that. You've started off as a rookie, and you've developed into the NFL starter. What is the progression as from a rookie to being that guy, that franchise quarterback? Because that's what they really need him to be. Well, I mean, I can, I can relate to him well because I had to change offenses after my second year as well. And, and for the better, because I was with, uh, with uh, the master, Ernie Zampezi, who brought in, um, you know, a guy, an unknown guy named Dick South, uh, uh, Dan South's offense. So, it was it was night and day for me as well because I came from you know kind of a we're gonna run right run left and then we're gonna throw an out route to you know this complex offense where you know I didn't get it for a while I mean I, I really I mean I saw it I had definitely but to be able to pull the trigger and do it like it you know uh, second nature takes time and there's no other substitute than time I mean if you looked at Aaron Rodgers. And you looked at him coming out of Cal as compared to now. He's a different cat. And there's a lot, a lot of confidence he has, the throws he could make, because he's seen it over and over and over. And he knows, look at Tom Brady. When he, when he sees the two high or one high, he knows exactly where he's going. He doesn't have to stare it down. He doesn't have to look at it developed. He knows. And he just has to have his guys run the play. So it happens not only with quarterback and that's the thing about it with if they coming in they have an answer they do this we do that we do this we do that they didn't have that last year they do this well we panic <laughs> or we're, we're doing a double side route but if they don't correspond to you know what the defense could possibly get you so it's more of a gift now they have an answer they do this we do that they do this we do that they do this we go here if they happen to do this they blitz we got this pickup so there's an answer to everything so that's what Jared's coming from is going like, I have an answer no matter what they do. If they want to blitz, we'll throw hot, we'll throw this, we'll do max, we'll do this. So there's an answer, and that's what Sean wants. And i tell you what, it puts the defensive coordinators on their heels. Where prior, all they do is put eight in the box and just, just tag uh, Gurley. You know, but now we're using Gurley in the pass game, we're using him in the run game, we're, we're doing counters, we're doing, you know, all those jet sweeps, and you don't know if... Tavon's getting the ball, and if you don't respect him, he's going to get it. But you've got to keep the lanes wide open, and you know I think it's a it's a good addition to what McVay, how McVay's using his talent. So the offense to me is is completely night and day, and you know like you're saying. I, I kind of want to back up a little bit. We're, it's getting late here, and a few things I want to kind of cover with you. First, I, the question I have: the last time we talked, we we talked. You, you gave me the story on Jim Rome. This is more curiosity than anything else. Have you since then talked to Mr. Roman all? Has there been inter- any interaction? I'll tell you what, the only thing that I have to do with Rome is think about Italy. That's it. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> well, I don't think I even have to follow up on that one. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's so beautiful over there. It's, 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 it's you know, the heritage, the history of Rome. It's unbelievable. I can't wait to go back. Okay, just looking back at your career, there you had several great games, several important games, several ones that are you know kind of in Rams history. There's everything ranging from the Phantom Sack, which we've talked about before, but two really two big wins 
in Rams history, historic nights. So Sunday night game against the Saints, uh, where we, where you and Flipper Anderson were on fire, and also the New York Giants playoff game. Can you take us back to that? Uh, what was it like, you know, for this that Saints game where you, you know you hit 336 yards that night for uh, Flipper Anderson? And well, I was just Flipper alone. I mean, I, I didn't even throw for over 500. I threw a 450, but 330 something to Flipper. That's pretty pretty crazy. <laughs> and he wasn't even he wasn't even going to play. I mean, he was going to be the third wide receiver. It was a, a game time decision that Henry Ellard had to had to shut it down because he tweaked his hamstring mm-hmm. and during the week. And so you know it was like last minute deal. We kind of didn't figure things out till a little bit late in the, late in the game. But thank God we did. <laughs> Oh, I remember. I I was you know, sitting at home watching that game and thinking, no, we can't lose this one. Can't see this happen. And, and the 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 Everett Anderson connection, man, that that was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Well, so, we were down. We were down fourteen to nothing, and for most of the game, and we got deep into the fourth quarter. I don't know, five, four or five minutes left, and so we started knocking on the points. So it was the Pat Swilling, Ricky Jackson knocked the heck out of Jim Everett show for a long time. Oh yeah, I think we had six or seven sacks up to then, and we just weren't getting it done. And our running game wasn't going anywhere. But then all of a sudden, you know, we just said, "All right, we'll we'll just get this, you know, basically a two-minute drill going." And then all of a sudden, I think we tired them out, and uh, or at least the pass rush we did. And then we started flipping around the park, and then Flipper caught everything. I mean, everything. It was time they were trying to blitz. They were. Just, I just put it up and do a fifty-fifty ball, and Flipper comes down with it. All of a sudden, they're doing something else. I got to get rid of the ball, and I throw another fifty-fifty ball. But they got two guys on. He still comes down. With it. So it was just one of those days when we go over overtime, so we had a little bit more time. But we just stayed two minutes at that point. We just said, the heck, we're not going to even try to fit, fit, fool around with two back set and all this fake run stuff. We're just going to just say, we're going to air it. You know we're going to air it. Come get me. Now, the other game is, is that Giants game. And if I remember correctly, the defense that day was, we had several injuries. How did that game, how, how, <laughs> years later, you still wonder, how did the Rams win that game? Hey. You know, what's, what's, what's amazing is that the week before we play Philadelphia at Philadelphia with two defensive linemen, we have two healthy defensive linemen, and we win that game. Now, that's pretty spectacular. So we ended up going up to the Giants thinking, oh, God, because Bill Parcells, he just wants to run it. He's going to hammer it. And, you know, I think we had three or, or two guys came back. So we had some linemen. But the job Fritz Schirmer did against Philadelphia Eagles with two defensive linemen was something something pretty special. He had all them linebackers juking around, just chasing around with Cunningham around. That was pretty special to come out of that game. But going back to your Giants question, there's something about playing teams like the New York Giants, teams like the Dallas Cowboys, that, you know, those, those the big media, it was always got us cranked up. Always did. You know, it was, it was, it was fun playing those guys and Bill Parcells bigger than, you know, this and that. And, you know, it was something about Always brought out the best. I know in my game, and a lot of usually all all my teammates, we played the Giants. And uh, to be able to go in that stadium, because I tell you what, their fan base, they know more about our mothers than we know, and they <laughs> let you know about it. <laughs> so it was kind of there. But I, I learned some stuff about my teammates I didn't know. Anyway, anyways, we went up there and we we hit that 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 pass. And, you know, the crazy part about it is we knew they were blitzing. And of course, you know, Belichick's the defensive coordinator at the time. And I'm not saying he didn't have to blitz, but they're his own base team overall. 
And so when we, we kind of knew they were coming, so we were, we actually called the same play a few times, anticipating, and they didn't let the cup times, but when they did, then that's what we, we do. We had flipper that could get on top of either one of the corners. All I remember is the tunnel. That's right. what I remember. I just, you know, I just, that's all I remember is the tunnel. And the way he kept running, you're thinking, is this, is this real? Is this, is this oh my, it, did the Rams just win this game? It is, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like we stole the game from him, but, you know, we'll take that. And, you know, the, the part of that, you remember the tunnel, I remember the tunnel, the TV remember the tunnel, but the thing about it is it was eerily quiet. I'll always remember that. Eerily quiet. I mean, for all those people in the stadium and in, and just him say nothing was just amazing. Just absolutely shocked. Yeah, so, it like 60,000 goldfish. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all these years later, you know, and you play with some, some just really great Flipper Anderson, uh, Jackie Slater. You know, do you keep touch with all these guys? I tried. Absolutely. I see Jackie Slater. He's working. He's doing some work for NBC. Vince Ferragamo, I see. I usually check in with Jackie when we talk shop and this and that, you know, on a professional level. I do a little part-time stuff for CBS. So, you know, we kind of, we kind of tink around. Um, I see at the reunions, we have, you know, the, the legends is becoming a bigger thing. The teams are being involved more with their past players. And so we have a few more outings that we get a chance. Dennis Hara to see him quite a bit. Mike Lansford, Nolan Cromwell quite a bit. And, uh, you know, Nolan Cromwell, that's an interesting story. He was my first roommate um, with the Rams, and, uh, and he was one of my heroes growing up. You know, that was just – that's a whole – that's for another day. Anyways, yeah, we get to hang out that's, that's great to hear. Well, you know, thanks for coming on the show today. Any time we can get you on the show is good stuff because you always, always have insight that we're looking for. And so real quick, can you just go – hey, where can our fans interact with you? Uh, you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Look me. Look Jim Everett up on Twitter. You'll find me. You will find and, you. Look on. And I got I got a Facebook page. I keep that going a little bit. That's under Jim Everett as well. But Twitter's usually where I keep most of my uh, my NFL stuff. And you know I you know I'm a part time comedian, so I don't know. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding about that. Uh, my material sometimes is horrible, but I, I'm not afraid to use it. All right. <laughs> Well, Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always, you know, like I've told you a million times, whenever, well, I'm not sure if it's a million, I'm being a little hyperbolic there. My childhood hero, guys. So uh, it's always a pleasure for me to get a chance to talk to him. Very, always good to catch up with you. And you know what? Keep doing what you dream. You know what I'm saying? Just keep doing what you dream. And it won't be work, and you'll make a difference, brother. Keep rolling. All right. For, you know, for the staff over at Rams Talk, for Jim Everett, it's a Derek C. Paul Manch editor. Have a great night. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. 
the 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.